Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, it has been a while since the last episode. Uh, there, as, as many of you know, I'm a new father, and so uh, my schedule is a bit all over the place, and I can't really get to this as often as I would like. Um, but thank you for sticking around and uh, checking out these episodes. Um, and uh, before we get started, I wanted to let everybody know that uh, over at Battleship Pretension, in the next few weeks, we'll be releasing a book, uh, The 101 Best Movies of the 2010s, uh, written by myself and David and various other contributors. Uh, I'm very proud of it, uh, and right now you can pre-order it for $14.99 plus shipping. And uh, at the moment, we're only shipping in the United States, so sorry about that uh, for those of you who live elsewhere. But uh, yeah, I, I think uh, I think you'll enjoy it. I wrote 26 of the entries, uh, but I have looked over the whole thing, and it's very interesting, uh, including the list itself, uh, seeing what was included and what wasn't. Um, it was generated from uh, a listener poll over the course of, I believe, two months. But uh, anyway, so if you go to battleshipretention.com and on the left left hand side of the page, you'll see a little uh, graphic that says 101 best movies of the 2010s. Just click on that and that'll take you where you need to go. But uh, anyway, so today, keeping the uh, <laughs> keeping the theme going of the last few episodes, albeit uh, ones that I released a, a few months ago, um, we're going to be talking about Bridget Savage Cole and Danielle Crudy's Blow the Man Down, uh, along with Infidel and Words on Bathroom Walls. This uh, this is a film that uh, many people have not seen. It is not a well-known film, but it is readily available. It's available on uh, Amazon Prime, and it's one of my favorite movies of 2020. And, uh, and I highly recommend it. Uh, this episode probably won't be very long um, because I, I don't really want to delve too deeply into the film because I want to let you um, discover it. Um, that's kind of the bummer of talking about a lesser known film is, uh, you know, if I was talking about Avengers Endgame or something like that, I would assume that most of you had seen it. But um, anyway, uh, and by the way, you, you may have noticed that my, my tone, I've got my hushed tones uh, like, uh, like from the early days. And that is because the only time I can really do anything is after everybody has uh, gone to sleep. Um, right now I am looking at uh, a baby monitor. The kids are both asleep in the other room. And, uh, if that green turns red, then it means I gotta, I gotta spring into action and, uh, make a couple of bottles and, and all of that. So, um, but right now we're going to talk about blow the man down. Um, it's a really interesting movie. 
that is, I would say, I would describe it as a dark comedy, but it is also, I think it also owes more than a little bit to film noir. And, and if I'm being honest, it owes a lot to the Coen brothers. Um, it has that quality that you would see in something like Blood Simple or Miller's Crossing or The Man Who Wasn't There or even No Country for Old Men. Um, I'm not sure if I'd say it's quite as good as, as any of those, um, but it just has that vibe to it. Uh, and that's something that you'll find with a lot of filmmakers in their early years is they will emulate the directors that, uh, that inspired them. Um, and then, you know, with somebody like a Paul Thomas Anderson, you go back and look at his movies of the nineties and you see a lot of Scorsese in there and a lot of Altman in there before he started to kind of do his own thing. And even with something like there will be blood, um, there's a fair amount of John Huston in there as well. So, uh, it's just a thing that'll happen and it's not, it's not a, it's not a flaw. Um, especially if, if the person can put, uh, their own stamp on it. And I think that, uh, Bridget Savage Cole and Danielle Crudy, I think they do. Um, because the film, it, it has a surreal quality to it as well, because while it does seem to take place in a, just a, a seaside fishing town that is primarily in the film, it's primarily made up of women because, uh, all of the men are, uh, you know, all of the, the fishermen are off, uh, catching fish, uh, for long stretches at a time. And so this is a town that is really run by their wives. And that's a really interesting idea. And it does give you the opportunity to see uh, a nice ensemble of, uh, of actresses as well. So, uh, but so it's the seaside town. Um, and yet the film will often uh, cut to uh, a bunch of fishermen just singing directly to the camera, singing like old she uh, old uh, sea shanties like Blow the Man Down. Um, and so there's there's an element of surrealism in there. Um, and in that regard, speaking of the Coen brothers, it sort of reminds me of something like Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? It seems like it could uh, exist in the same kind of uh, world as that. So uh, the story involves uh, two sisters whose mother has passed away and they are running a her old uh, fish chopping shop. And one of the girls happens upon uh, uh, a lot of money, partially because and this is one of those things where I'm not sure if, if I should spoil this, but it's fairly early in the film, so I think it's okay. Uh, there's a, a rather scummy guy who is uh, coming on to her and uh, starts to attack her, and she kills him, and then she and her sister uh, do away with the body, and she also happens upon a great deal of money. But in doing so, you know, it's a large amount of money. People are always going to miss a large amount of money. And... Uh, so this guy was working for the local madam of the apparently extremely popular uh, brothel. And the madam is uh, played by Margot Martindale, who is one of my favorite actresses working today. Um, I've liked her in everything that she's in. I think I probably first saw her in Million Dollar Baby playing Hilary Swank's mother and her ability to take that character who is essentially written as a caricature and costumed as such uh, and 
turn her into certainly a negative character, but one that is actually quite feasible. Uh, that's something that I always really admired. Um, and I've seen her in uh, comedies and dramas, and she can do anything. And I highly recommend there's a there's a film from, I think, 2007 or 8 called uh, Paris Je Temps. And uh, she plays a, a woman who goes to Paris by herself. And it is a really wonderful and often heartbreaking uh, little uh, vignette, uh, but she really pulls it off. And so here, to the degree that the film has an antagonist, uh, it is her. Um, she plays uh, Enid, who again runs this brothel and she walks with a cane and she uh, she actually knows the two sisters and specifically she knew their mother. And she has the feeling that something is up with them. And so she tries to ingratiate herself to them and uh, talks about the old times with their mom and all of that. But it's very clear that she wants something from them and that she can be very subtly threatening. It is a marvelous performance. And uh, I recommend the movie for any number of, of reasons, but uh, probably the biggest one is her performance. Um, it's it's just a, a pleasure to watch. Um, and incidentally, now that I think about it, uh, I don't know how many of you watch BoJack Horseman, but uh, Margo Martindale uh, plays herself uh, in, in that show. Uh, specifically, she's referred to as character actress Margo Martindale, and uh, she plays herself as a, yes, a popular actress, but also uh, someone who's always looking for a, a, a heist to be a part of. And uh, it's it's really funny. And again, she can pull that off as well. It's a, a, a vocal, a voice performance. But uh, so I think one of the things that I really responded to about the film is that, you know, you've got this Enid character, you have the, the two sisters, you have, you know, their mom who passed away. And then you have these three older women played by... Um, June Squibb, Marceline Hugo, and Annette O'Toole. Uh, and they are sort of like the unofficial, uh, you know, town council. They kind of run everything, and you kind of get the impression that they're just sort of busybodies, and they seem so harmless, this, this trio. Um, you know, if you've seen June Squibb, she played the uh, sort of the foul-mouthed character of... Uh, the, the foul-mouthed wife of Bruce Stern in Nebraska. She played Jack Nicholson's wife in uh, About Schmidt. She's been in a bunch of stuff, but she, you know, she can have a, a harmless quality to her, uh, and the other two as well. And they just seem like just you know every small town uh, has like just these old women that are like oh they're adorable, but you also really see that they are the ones running everything. And they know who Enid is, and they knew who the sister's um, mother was. And you come to realize that uh, that they actually have a, a previous like partnership with Margot Martindale's character, uh, and that they helped run the brothel. Uh, and since then, they decided to sort of get out of the, the criminal enterprise and leave uh, Margot Martindale's character Enid, leave her to run it. And, and now they're trying to even sort of take that away as well because they want uh, the town to be sort of squeaky clean. 
But what's interesting is that in the process of trying to make the town squeaky clean, uh, and in doing so, they're also trying to scrub away their uh, their past, they are willing to be rather cutthroat themselves. And again, you just don't expect it because these three women just seem so pleasant. And I think that's the dynamic that really strikes me. Um, you know, Margot Martindale, her character, she knows who she is. She knows what she is. Uh, and she accepts it. Whereas these three, one could say that they are hypocrites um, in that they they give the impression of being respectable. And in fact, maybe now they are, but they didn't used to be. And in order to seem respectable or at least attain that respectability, um, they are willing to do very unrespectable things. I'm going to stop saying respectable now. Um, and I think that's something that really... I don't know. I, it, that is what I take away from the film. I do enjoy the, the style of the film and the music, and you really get a sense of place. You really feel like you, you understand how this small town operates. Uh, it is shot in a way that is somehow unglamorous, but stylized, um, not to the degree of like, you know, a Tim Burton film or something like that. But, uh, Aside from, you know, the, the sense of place and the, the occasional like quirkiness of the town, uh, it is that dynamic between these three women and uh, the the uh, the madam Enid. Um, that's what I really take away from it. That's what really struck me, because it uh, it reminded me of of the companion film today, which is Wayne Kramer's The Cooler, starring William H. Macy, Alec Baldwin and Maria Bello. Uh and that film features it, what I'm about to talk about is actually a bit of a, a, a subplot, but it takes place in Las Vegas. And Alec Baldwin is a guy who runs a casino and he runs it like, you know, like the old schoolers, like he's uh, he, he will run cheaters out of his out of his casino and like break their legs and all that. It just feels very much like an old mob kind of situation. But. Um, Ron Livingston, who you might know from uh, Office Space, uh, he comes in and he represents sort of the new investors who are trying to embrace the the kinder, friendlier Las Vegas. Um, and the and Alec Baldwin, who was actually nominated for an Oscar for his performance um, for supporting actor. He, he's not having any of it. He's like, no, that is not what Las Vegas is. It's not Disneyland. It is a place where people go to gamble and drink and solicit prostitutes and all of that. Like, how on earth are you going to try and paint that as family friendly? Um, and essentially, in the end, spoilers, uh, Ron Livingston wins. And they are able, he and, and the other investors are able to uh, sort of whitewash this casino and make it into something that it didn't used to be. And in their attempt to do that, they they make some uh, some questionable moral decisions. And so that reminded, so that's what I was put in mind of when I saw Blow the Man Down. And, and it's just something that it, it's been on my mind Lately, it's something that uh, that I've talked about on recent episodes. I feel like um, this idea of trying to present yourself as pure, as moral, as better than you are, trying to act as though the things you've done in the past—you could call them mistakes, you could call them sins, whatever it is—trying um, to act as though that never happened. Um, 
it just it's something that that resonates with me because I you know people have talked about how vulnerable I can be on this show and it is definitely something that I uh, I try to be um, but at the same time uh, that could be seen as as image conscious it, it 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 sort of looks good especially especially in a Christian setting it looks good to appear vulnerable um, and I'm, I'm always conscious of that. And certainly in the Christian community, a lot of people are conscious of that. Um, they will play down and understandably so you don't want to like revel in your, in your sin or your mistakes or whatever, but they'll play them down. And one of the best ways to do that, uh, you know, one of the best ways to sort of make it seem as though anything you've done in the past, you've left that far behind and you're a new person is to look at the people that are making those mistakes currently and and condemn them for it uh because the harder you condemn it uh you know surely nobody who's actually made these mistakes could condemn something this harshly and that's the idea um and and you know, in the end, that is ultimately what these, what the, the three women are doing to Enid in Blow the Man Down is they see her as, even though they were partners and they were all friends um, and they were all involved in the same, uh, the same criminal enterprise together, they have decided they wanted, they want to distance themselves from it. And so they make Enid their enemy and seem to convince themselves that they are doing something good and that this is necessary if they're going to um, lead a, a you know, lead a good life. And while I do understand that, like from a Christian standpoint, if there are people who are sort of dragging you down or dragging you into, um, you know, a, a bad past life, yeah, it makes sense to distance yourself from those people, but to act as though you are better than they are, um, or that you, now that you have embraced this new idea that you could never, you could never do that again. Uh, that is a very unchristian idea. Um, and in the end it's, it's, that is, that is a decision that is not about God and it's not about actually being obedient to God. It's about the appearance of being obedient to God. It's about presenting yourself to other people a certain way. Um, and certainly the Bible has a lot of verses about that. Um, specifically the idea that God's God can see past that other people might not be able to, um, but God certainly can. Uh, so I'm going to read a number of Bible verses here. Uh, Proverbs 28, 13, whoever conceals their sin does not pl- prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Seems pretty straightforward. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Uh, and that's certainly pretty straightforward as well. Uh, another Jeremiah Verse 16, 17, my eyes are on all their ways. This is God speaking. My eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from me, nor is their sin concealed from my eyes. Psalm 69, 5, you, God, know my folly. My guilt is not hidden from you. So, you know, if God can see all that, like if we are Christians and we believe that God, it is ultimately God's opinion that matters, um, then this should be what we focus on, this idea that uh, it doesn't matter how other people see us. If we say, yeah, this is a mistake I've made. This is this is who I used to be. And frankly, maybe this is something I still struggle with. Um, yeah, some people might look down on you for that, but I would say it's 
you know, as Proverbs says, it's better to confess and renounce than to act as though this is not that this is not a thing you struggle with. And then, in fact, you've got everything all worked out. Um, Matthew uh, six. Uh, I don't remember how many verses this is. says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, uh, in secret will reward you. So I think what I like here is there's a you know, specific, specificity of phrasing. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Um, You know, sometimes what you do is going to be in front of people, but if you're purposely doing it in front of people so that they can see how good you are, uh, that is certainly doing it for the wrong reason. Um, Luke 12, 2 says, There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. That is a very frightening (laughs) idea, uh, because one thing that happens a lot in small towns, like the one in uh, Blow the Man Down, as well as churches, uh, gossip. Gossip is a huge problem, like what people say about other people um, behind their backs and, again, whispering in in secret rooms and that sort of thing. Uh, And the idea that that will be made known is a very frightening prospect. Um, That is, of course, if you are valuing other people's opinion of you as an upright, uh, upstanding, perfect Christian, Um, while certainly it is... uh, you know, ideally you will move, you move away from these things, but it could still be a thing that you struggle with. Um, and maybe that's a thing that is worth admitting, uh, to other people like, Hey, I have, I have a problem with, with gossip. And sometimes this is such a cheesy thing to say, but I think it's true. Sometimes the first step in getting past something is to admit to someone that it's a thing you deal with. Um, And I think the thing is, like, when we look at who we were in the past and we might feel we might feel ashamed of it, um, we might want to run from it. And certainly fleeing from sin is a good thing. Um, But rather than conceal it and act like it never happened or acting like there's a thing we don't struggle with when we very much do, um, you know, God has a heart for that. He understands that, man, when you suddenly realize the error of your ways, the the tremendous guilt and shame that can that can overwhelm you, um, can actually, in some cases, blind you to his love and forgiveness of that thing, and that's something that uh, that I wanted to address as well. You know, it's not merely. Uh, hey, don't hide your sin. Put it all out there. It's also God sees your sin. He sees who you are. He He sees your intentions, and if you and He has covered that. So if you just focus on that, there's no need to conceal. 
Um, Ephesians 5, 8 through 13 says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of, of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord, having nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Uh, it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. And so there's a, you know, there's a promise here, um, that if you, you know, bring your, your sin, your mistakes, your embarrassments, your guilt, if you bring that to light, then that confession and that act which brings you closer to god the acknowledgement that you are deeply flawed and that you need him that that makes you part of his light you know it says everything that is illuminated becomes a light and that is such an exciting such an exciting thing it says that we don't have to uh you know resort to some pretty horrible things in order to hide our sin. You know, that's something that King David did. Uh, and you can read about that and you're fa it's fascinating that like a guy that I've talked about this before, that a guy that is said to be a, a man after God's own heart, uh, could be capable of adultery and basically murder, um, in order to cover that adultery. Um, you know, we don't have to, we don't have to do that. Um, granted there might be real world consequences to the things that we've done certainly and we need to own up to that but in God's eyes confessing who we are what we've done and taking that first step towards him knowing full well that he is looking to embrace us uh, and forgive us for that like that is a very exciting thing um, and so you know maybe you're somebody who is feeling shame or guilt about things you've done in the past um, or maybe things that you struggle with now and, and you're, and you're trying to hide them from other, from other people. I can totally understand that. There are things I've done in the past that I find embarrassing. You know, I've, I've often tried to look as good as I, as I can, um, to look as smart as, as can be. Uh, and in doing so, I think I've, I've, I, I say, I think I know I have lied to people to, to appear smarter, uh, or to appear more righteous, uh, lied about the stuff I struggle with, lied about the things I know and the things that I don't. Um, and it's, and it, it sucks to know that it sucks to, to know that the thing you present yourself as is not who you really are. Um, but there is comfort in knowing that God knows who you really are. And he, he loves that and he wants that. Um, so if we can just get out of our own way and accept him, then that shame and that guilt does not have to define us and does not need to dictate our actions. So, uh, I think we're going to go ahead and leave it there. Like I said, fairly short episode. I do highly recommend you see blow the man down. It's really well written. I'd say beautifully acted, very well shot. Um, yes, you will definitely be put in mind of the Coen brothers, but I'd say don't let that uh, dissuade you and, and don't let that, uh, you know, make you think that the directors, Bridget Savage, Cole and Danielle Crudy um, are, are lesser or anything like that. I'm very excited to see what they do next. Um, but uh, but yeah, check out Blow the Man Down. And while you're at it, check out The Cooler, directed by Wayne Kramer. Uh, that's a pretty good movie, too. But uh, in the meantime... Um, there will be an if everything goes well there will be another episode coming 
pretty soon um, that'll be an interview with uh, some very exciting people. But I'm not sure if that's going to happen yet, uh, but uh, be on the lookout for that. And in the meantime, feel free to weigh in on this conversation with your comments. Uh, you're welcome to email me, Tyler, at morethanonelesson.com. You can follow me on Twitter, at morelessons, and you can uh, f- you can like the More Than One Lesson Facebook page. And uh, I think that's it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye.